was seven years ago. Um, I was at the ripe young age of 1920. I was wet behind the ears, still am, and still working through that. And I took a group of 12 uh, guys to a camp that was about a day trip away. And um, we were headed up there, and I had known some friends there. We got to this camp, and we had just such a great time. A buddy of mine who was in charge of the camp said, Hey, Duma, uh, I'm going to come by your, your cabin tonight with your guys, and we're going to play real-life situations. And I was like, Yeah, sweet, man. What do we need? He goes, I'll bring, the, I'll, I'll bring the duct tape and the pocket knife. You get the Red Bulls. Sweet. I'll meet you there. So he, some of you guys are like, oh, no, Mike, no. So anyway, uh, about 11 o'clock, he comes, you know, rolling in with his knife and duct tape and all that stuff. And I'm with these kids at this cabin, and we're hanging out, talking, and we're going to play real-life situations. And so he takes the duct tape. He takes four of my students who are in there, and there's about 30 guys in this cabin. And uh, we're just hanging out, just doing guy stuff, you know, just doing, being whatever. We, he takes four of them, and he ducks tape, duct tapes them, what would be like a real-life situation. Yeah, just like happens at your home. Your duct tape underneath the bed, you know, whatever, on, on the ceiling, whatever. We have them in real situations that, you know, it just happens in Akron, Ohio. And so what he says is, here's the rules. He puts the knife in the middle of the room, and he shuts the lights off, and he says, you got three minutes to get yourself out of that situation, and if you don't, guess what happens? We're just going to beat you to a pulp. We're just going to beat you to a pulp. And I was like, bro, this is, this is nuts. This is awesome. Not realizing I'm the leader guy. Like, I'm supposed to be in charge here. So we start playing. And, uh, you know, obviously, guess what happens? You know, we start counting down. And one of the guys, I, I, think one of, I think there's two in this room. They're still breathing. One of them, Jeremiah Sanders, was duct taped. You know, he's Hulk Hogan 2.0. He just rips through that thing. And he gets out. And we start counting down 10, 9. And we're getting ready to, you know, beat these kids up. Not me, but the kids, you know. So um, they, they get ready, and they're going three. Two, and Jeremiah runs over to one of his friends, uh, Luke Morris. And all of a sudden, not surprised at all, what do we hear? And he's tied behind his back like this. We hear, oh, my gosh, my finger. No. How did that happen? And we were just totally freaking out, losing our minds. He cut his finger, and not like some of you people, like a paper cut is the ER trip. This was, this was a definite like cut. Like we should, we should do something about this. So in my wisdom, I looked at the young soldier, Luke Morris, and I said, Luke, what do you want to do, man? You want to go to the ER? You, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And Luke is here. Just raise your hand, Luke. He's still breathing. Yeah, he's alive and well. Um, and so he, I listened to Luke. Uh, some of you guys are like, why did I trust this guy with my kids? And we, I looked at him and I said, what do we want to do? So we decided, you know, to just patch it up with some super glue and, and head back home. True story. We get back home, and I am just sick to my stomach. Like, you know, I, I know bonehead moves, shouldn't have done it, the whole nine. I know the speech I'm going to get. I'm, like, throwing up. I'm so sick. And, you know, we take all the other kids back, and I know we have to take Luke home. And I am just, I mean, I felt like I've never prayed in my life. And I'm just asking God, miracle, you know, bread from heaven, whatever you got to do. Just don't let me go to jail. Just something, something reasonable. And we get there, and I will never forget this. And I walk Luke in. It's me. It's uh, another friend of mine. And we walk Luke in. And she, uh, God bless her heart, she just was like, oh, my gosh, boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Yeah, we'll see you. See you, Luke. Good luck. Yeah, don't get stitches now because, you know, it's infected. But anyway, uh, God sometimes does exactly what you want, but you don't really know why. I mean, I could reminisce about that story, and I'm like, man, I should have got beat. I should have went to jail. I don't know, like just something crazy. And some of you, that's happened to you where God did exactly what you wanted, but you can't really describe it. 
you can't put it into words. You can't really say this is what you have to do. This is the formula. This is what takes place. And we're going to jump in and finish this series out on Job. Um, And I think if Job was here today, he would say some similar things like this. God did exactly what I wanted, but I can't really say why. I can't really say why. Today, we are finishing this, this series up, and we are talking about Job's recipe for God's blessing. And I know that makes some of you nervous, and I'm excited about that, because you want to know what the recipe is, what do we got to do, and what's the blessing that we would receive? What does God want to do in your life? Now, if we can just backtrack, and I just want to take two minutes and cover this, Job has went through, um, as we've talked through this, what would feel like hell on earth. He has, I mean, the things that have happened to Job are just undescribable, undescribable for you to feel and to resonate with and to see what God is doing. Because here's the thing about this series and this book, it it covers the topic of the problem of evil. Why would God, a good God, allow evil or suffering on people who love God? Why would he do that? And, and, and it is a temptation for pastors to sometimes, we'll give you X, Y, and Z, one, two, three, A, B. We'll, we'll make it very concrete for you to understand. But sometimes we just have to say, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why God does that. We can give you biblical answers, but it doesn't change the way you feel about it. It doesn't change the way you feel about divorce. It's awful. It hurts. It doesn't change the way you feel about cancer doesn't change the way you feel about death in your family. It hurts. And so why on earth would God allow such a thing? There's a quote from an atheist who's pretty popular, uh, J.L. Mackey, if you want to pull it up for me. He said this, If God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. And because there is so much unjustifiable, pointless evil in the world, the traditional God cannot exist. And I would say, Amen. I would say, the pastor's an atheist. No, I would say, amen, and here's why. Because God does not allow pointless evil. He does not allow unjustifiable things that happen to you. And here's how, for some of us in the room, God communicates to us through different ways. It is always consistent with his word. It is always consistent with his character. But sometimes God allows pain in your life. He allows pain. He allows things that hurt because why? He wants to get your attention. He wants to get your attention. I've shared this story uh, before in different venues, but not here. And some of you would know this. There's a friend of mine um, named Jeff, and I was talking to him about God and who God is. And we were playing pool together. And finally, he looked at me one time and he said, Mike, I'm so sick of hearing about God. Would you please just stop it? And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, man. Sorry, sorry, it's fine. And he said, no, on a serious note, on my way out the door, he said, if you and that God guy are so close, why don't you tell him to let me know? You sure, man? I've done it before, and he, he kinda, he's, he's more crazy than me, man. He does crazy stuff. And he said, yeah, 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 tell him, tell him. So a couple weeks went on, or months, and I ran into Jeff, and I said, hey, Jeff, has God told you anything yet? He goes, no, nah, man, he ain't said nothing. I was like, you sure? He said, yeah, yeah, I think, I, well, I told him my car flipped it three times, and I walked away spotless. Huh. I just looked at him. I was like, think that was capital G? You got, he, was, he was like, I don't know. I said, all right, man. We'll see. That was it. That was, that was it. And for, for him, God is trying to communicate to him. 
But sometimes he just misses the sign. So I want to real quick give you four things before I jump into Job 42 about what the Bible teaches about restoration and sin. Because this is a very edgy topic and something that some of us can uh, misunderstand. Number one, if you would pull it up for me, is this. Is sickness a sign of sin? Sometimes. Sometimes when we talk about sickness or you experience sickness, there are some Bible teachers or people that will say it's always a sign that there is sin in your life, that you need to get the sin out of your life. In Job's life, it was not a sign of sin. Job, it simply was God choosing him to demonstrate how good God is and that God is enough. Number two, why are some people healed while others suffer? Only God knows. And I know that's not really the answer you want. Sometimes you want exactly what needs to be done so my life will be suffering-free or pain-free. And God does not promise that. We're going to talk about what Job's friend said in Job 42. And number three, how important is faith? It's essential, but man, is it overrated. It is essential for your faith, for you to believe that God can heal you. Hebrews 11.1, Hebrews 11.6, but also Deuteronomy 29 and also John 5. God heals people sometimes when they don't even ask. Sometimes. It's, it, it'd be easy for me to say this verse, and here's the absolute answer, but sometimes as a pastor, we just have to hold our hands up and say, I don't know, it's essential, but it's overrated. Because not always when you have faith will God heal. Number four, last one, and we'll jump into this. How should we respond to illness? You weep, you pray, and you trust God. You just trust him. God, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust that you're working something out. God is going to do in Job's life what all of us want. What all of us would think he would be about. If I was God, Bruce Almighty, for one day, what I would do, some of you forgot about that movie. What, what I would do, I would do exactly what God does in Job 42, to the T. I would do it exactly his way in everyone's, in everyone's life. Why? Because you would have no issue following that kind of God. Because that's exactly what we would do if we were God. The problem is, or the issue is, we're not. And God has something better Because often, often, when you want something from God, he doesn't want to give you what you want. He wants to give you what you need. And that is what God does in Job's life, and that is what he is trying to do in my life and in your life. So I've titled this, or as we're going to jump through this, If You Want God's Blessing. If You Want God's Blessing. And I know there are people in this room who you would say, you know what, I'm just, I'm not really there yet. I'm not really there. I don't want his blessing. Um, I think I need it, but I'm not, I'm not just ready for that, Mike. I don't, I don't think that that's something that I really desire right now. So I'm coming out of the gate knowing that that's not 100%. Some of you would say, yes, I want his blessing. I want his blessing, and I want to know what to do and how to get it. What's the recipe? What's one, what's two, and what's three, and how do we get there? And that's what we're going to jump into this morning. And if you don't want God's blessing, I pray by the end of this, you are ecstatic and you desire to have God in your life. Let's jump into Job 42, verse 7. If you want God's blessing, let God handle the friends who are against you. Chapter, or chapter 42, verse 7. Big number, chapter 42, 42, little number is the verse, verse 7, if you're new. 
after the Lord had spoke these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, if you can remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about this bad counsel that Job received, here's what happened. These men come to Job when he was suffering, and what they tell him? They said, that's not how God works. What God always does is he always heals, and if anything bad happens in your life, it is not from God. And if anything hurts you in life, it's not from God. And today and how you would hear that is called uh, just the prosperity gospel. That if you follow God, you get everything, he gives you everything, and you always receive some kind of material wealth. And if anything bad happens in your life, it is 100% guaranteed not from God. These friends were telling Job those types of things. And Job, throughout the entire book, he does what you and I wish we could do. He doesn't respond. He doesn't get angry with them, or at least it's not recorded. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't even unfollow them. You know what I'm talking about? So, yeah, yeah, you're like, how do you know? Like, uh, he, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't retaliate towards them. Here's what Job does. He lets God handle it. He lets the Lord handle it. And here's, here's what the Lord says. Eliphaz the Tamite, I don't even know how to say these names. You know how sometimes you're on the Bible app and you've got to like say it out loud to like make sure you know it's the right, yeah, some of you got, yeah, that's, I feel like I was doing that literally at like 1030. Um, Eliphaz the Tamanite, this is what he says. My anger burns against you. And against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Has anyone ever said anything to you that is about God, but it's not right? It's wrong, it's incorrect. Some of you Bible gurus out there, you got it down, and someone says something, and you're kind of Bible police encyclopedia. You know, you're out there to correct, and you know, random people that you know at work who say things about God that's not right. Job didn't say anything. He didn't say nothing. He lets the Lord handle it. And when the Lord handles it, guess what happens? God changes hearts, what you and I cannot do. So he looks at this guy, and he, who's kind of like the ringleader, the spokesman. He says, hey, you and your friends were saying things to Job that were wrong. They were not right about me. You were talking about how I am, who I am not. Has anyone in your life said something about God that is totally inconsistent with who he is? It's totally wrong. You know it's wrong. I can remember clear as day. I was 16 years old, and I was sitting in my kitchen. I was on the counter, and I was having a conversation with my mom and my dad. And my mom asked me the question, Michael, do you fear God? Is that a trick question? At 16, I was like, why would I fear God? Why would, I, why would I fear him? He is a God of love, Mom. Don't you know? Don't you know? Mom, Mom, I thought you knew the Bible. You, God of love. He's not a God of wrath. And, and I said that to her. Now what my mom could have said, and some of you know my mom, she's just a saint. What she could have said, Michael, don't you know Proverbs 8? Michael, don't you know what it says in Luke 5? Don't you? What, that's what she could have said, but guess what she said? Okay, I love you. Sometimes keeping our mouth shut can be a win. Sometimes keeping our mouth shut can be a win. When you know someone who is in a hurting situation, these three friends, later on, they learn to keep their mouth shut, but sometimes when you don't say anything about God or you don't say anything to someone, if you don't know, 
Sometimes it's just better to say nothing. It's just better to say nothing, let it go. Sometimes there's always that person out there, and I don't know if this is you, if it is, I'm sorry in advance, but they'll show up to a funeral, and for whatever reason, they feel compelled to share Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good. God bless you, we're praying for you. And the person at the funeral wants to, in the name of Jesus, throat check them and say, you have no, right, you guys, you guys are like, man, I did that one time. Like, I throw on a throat check this guy. To where sometimes you want to speak for God, and it even might be right, but it's not wise. Sometimes keeping our mouth shut can be a win. So the Lord is dealing with his friends often when he wants to. Job, you think he wanted to deal with his friends? Absolutely. He wanted to go one-on-one with Eliphaz, the Temanite. I don't know. What he go in the ring. Get the gloves on. I got some things to say to you. He is off. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we separate ourselves from who's in the Bible, that they're not real humans. I bet you, Job, if he was here today, he'd probably want to say, yeah, man, I want to, to kill that guy. I want to slit his tires. I want to mess with his taxes. What, I don't know. Like, I don't know how it worked out. Like, he, he, wanted to, he, he wanted to deal with them. Verse 8. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you. Ah, talk about that in a second. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not, there it is again, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad, I I mean, these aren't names I'd name my kid, Bildad the Shushite, Zorphor the Naamite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now this does not teach, I want to be very, very clear, this does not teach that these three friends needed forgiveness in order from God through Job. That is not what it is teaching. It is not teaching that you have to go to someone else it was Eliphaz in Job 4:14 where he says, "Can a man be pure before God?" And he didn't answer the question. He just asked it. Some of you feel that way. Can a man can I have peace with God? And it is not through an individual that is here at a church, a pastor, a priest. It is through none of that except through Jesus. That is it. And he cannot forget, he cannot give this forgiveness to them, sometimes this assurance, but this is what Job does. It's in Romans 12, uh, 17, it says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. When there has been evil done against you, some, in this, some of you in this room, you have had cancer in your family, you have had pain in your family, and someone, some knucklehead said something about God that made you want to lose your mind. Maybe for some of you, it's the reason you're not a Christian, man. Them dang Christians. We're worse once you get to know us. We're just like you, man. And they're one of them that said something about God, and that's what you're bitter about. This individual didn't, they repaid evil for evil, but the Bible says, no, no, no. You know what you should do? If your enemy is hungry, you should feed him. If he's thirsty, you should give him something to drink. If he needs prayer, guess what? You should pray for him. You should pray for him. Why? Why? Because the Bible says you'll heap burning coals on their head. Not that coals will fall from heaven and knock them out in the name of Jesus for you, but rather that the bitterness inside of you that you have towards them will be released. And then Jesus says, as you guys know, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray, pray for those who persecute you. And Job applies this so well. He prays for them. 
So if you want God's blessing and you have people against you, you have friends, who, they're not friends, but they feel like they're friends against you, give it to God. And here's something that I have found, even, this was just last night. I was thinking about the story of Job. Job's walk with God, his walk with God was not contingent upon his friends or his family. Some of you follow God because it is convenient. Your friends do. Shoot, your, your spouse does. Heck, your, your dad did. That's why you follow God. Job, if that was where his faith had been laid, when everything went to hell in a handbasket, he would have walked away from God. But his faith was in God, not in mom and dad, not in his girlfriend or boyfriend, not in a figure besides God. That is who Job had his faith in, not his friends. If all your friends walked away from Jesus, would you as well? If all your family walked away from Jesus, would you walk away as well? It is not an isolated walk with God, but sometimes there are seasons where God allows things where you feel alone. You feel alone. Number two, try to forgive and forget. Verse 10, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when, I would circle that, when, is God's blessing contingent upon you forgiving someone? Sometimes. Sometimes. Is God's blessing contingent upon when Job had finally prayed for his friends? That's Job's story. This is what it says. And when the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Wow. Twice as much. Double. And I'm going to get into that. But here, think about Job. He had to pray for those who were persecuting him. He had to try to forgive and forget. I want to know what his prayer was, man. What was that prayer? Why didn't Job tell us? That sinner's prayer? Dear God, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. I, I don't know. What was the magic fairy dust he prayed? Because if a simple prayer required God to give me double, I mean, shoot, I could use double. You guys thought, okay, maybe not you, just me. I don't know, babe, that's just hoping. I guess that's just us. But you want double. I, I want to know what the prayer is. He forgives and he forgets and he prays for them and God gives him double. Sometimes, not always, sometimes God's prayer is contingent or God's blessing is contingent upon you forgiving someone. Forgiving someone. When you have bitterness held towards them, and I need a, uh, I'm going to need a volunteer, and I think I'm just going to pick Carl Mazaka, if you don't mind helping me out up here. Um, <clears throat> what I want to do is, Carl is going to be Job for us. I want you to sit right in this chair. Yeah, I hope this isn't like a curse on your life or anything. Say hi to Carl. Say hi, Carl. Hey. Hi, Carl. Oh, yeah, you guys are on. Okay, sweet. So, uh, let's say Carl is Job, hypothetically speaking. When, and I, I don't know all the details of your life, Carl, but I know some. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, something bad happens to your life or bad happens in your life, things that don't really work, things don't play out how you want. And when bad things happen in your life, what often do we tell ourselves in the narrative? I'm alone. Just like that. By himself, you feel like everyone is what? They got their eyes on you. But what is also the lie that you believe? Nobody cares. Nobody cares, man. I'm all alone, I've had bad things happen to me, they, they walked away from me, my family, and honestly, it's probably not even true. You just believe that sometimes. 
they said something to you and you have held things against towards some, things towards someone where you just put yourself in the narrative where everyone's against me. Every, they've said wrong things about me and Carl, you're killing it right now, man. You are the best job I've ever had. And you feel all alone. Now, here's what happens. I need uh, one, two, three, and four. You four come up here real quick. Um, I just called you guys out there like, <laughs> um, I want you guys to stand right here. Stand right here. You guys can just line up. Yeah, come on over. Don't fall because there's a lot of pressure. I want you to stand on this first step right here. Step down. Yep, yep, yep. Stand right here. Okay. What I want from you guys, I want you to stay right there. And I'm going to give you a gift. I want you to each take one. Yeah, pass it down. Pass it down. Take one, pass it down. Perfect. Okay. I'll hand these to these two. This is fine. Whatever. I don't care. Take one, pass it down. Here's what happens. Verse 11, back in your Bibles. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before. They come back. Hey, man, what's going on? How you been? And some of you know this. When you were in high school, man, who had the most friends in the summertime? The person with the pool. They had a pool, man. They got friends. And so here's what happens before. And ate bread with him and came to his house. And they showed sympathy and comforted him of all the evil that he had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. I want you guys to give that, give a gift to Carl. Go ahead. Yeah, Nolan, you're up, man. Give it to him. Say thanks. Give him a hug. Give him a pat on the back. Whatever you got to do. Yeah, go sit down. Yeah, perfect. And then uh, that's a mystery gift. You get to keep all that. Yeah, Anthony, great job. Oh, man. Yeah, Carl, we love you, man. You got that new truck. I love that truck, bro. You got Butch Bucks up here. You got everything. And then you got Starbucks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Dude, we, we love you, Carl. And you got that new house. You got the new car. Everything. God's just blessing you. We want to be here for you. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes when everything's going good in your life? It feels like those who were furthest from you when you were going through hell, now that you, everything's going good, what do they do? Hey, man, how you doing? I'll buy. I'll buy. I got the money. I got the stuff. Hey, man, I just, I'm here for you. Thank you, Carl. You can keep, that's a gift, honestly. All that's yours. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's, that's good. I wouldn't try and use that money. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it feels like when you follow God. And when things don't go well, how hard is it in that moment to forgive someone? It's in Psalm 82, 2. It says this, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Psalm 73, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Job had to forgive and move on. Think in that scenario, when you're going through a dark season, doesn't it feel like God's blessing everyone but you? Doesn't it feel like everything's going great for everyone? Man, their Instagram, they went on two vacations this year. I can't even go to Starbucks. Man, how'd that happen to them? Man, how did they get married so quick? She's ugly. Like, you, you've, yeah, you've been thinking, I know you college students, so don't laugh at me. And that's, that's reality. You're, like, mad when people get engaged. It's weird. Um, <laughs> it's true. You parents know what I'm talking about. You're like consoling your son and daughter. Like, it's okay. You'll get married one day too. Um, you, you feel that way. God, why would you bless them? I've walked with you. I, I read my Bible. I tithed. I gave to the church. Why does this have to happen to me? And now 
this happens and God, you restore everything that I, that I want in life that I thought I deserved and I don't deserve it. God gives it back. And man, everyone hits the scene. They want to be your best friend. Man, they want to buy you stuff. They want to give you gifts. And they showed sympathy. If I was Job, man, I, I ain't that spiritual. I don't know what I would have done. Show up with a gift in my house? You want to show comfort me? Where were you? Where were you guys when I needed you? Job, I, I don't know. I'm reading it, and it appears this way. He tries to forgive and forget. He tries. He tries to move on because, honestly, what was that prayer like? In verse, verse 10, what was that prayer like? I wonder if he said a bad word. I wonder if he was angry. I wonder if he prays like you sometimes where you don't even know what to say. God, I'm supposed to talk to you right now, but I am so frustrated. You've given me all this stuff back, and these people are knocking on my door. And Job extends forgiveness. He just moves on. He takes the gifts. You try, if you want God's blessing, you try to forgive and forget. Lastly, if you want God's blessing, number three, stick it out even when you don't feel like it. And this one might be, I think, the biggest one for us as we finish this out. Verse 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. <sighs> that one's tough. Wouldn't you rather have the beginning? I would. It feels like if I was God, I, it would give me more confidence to keep going. If God just blessed my socks off from day one, I feel like when it got tough, I would have an anchor. But God didn't do that with Job. And then he does this. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. I have no idea. You KJV people know what I'm talking about. Why it would say female donkeys. Anyway, verse 13. <laughs> Don't look up KJV. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima. I think, in the name of the second, Kiez, in the name of the third, Karen Hepich, and in all the land, this is the part I just don't get. I mean, if I was Job and God was blessing me, I'd kind of want to mulligan on this one, give this one back. This is what he says, and there were no beautiful, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. I mean, I, I got it, I just had my first baby. I kind of pray, I want her to be pretty, and I want her to be beautiful, but honestly, I got my eyes peeled in that nursery. Like, I don't want anyone, you know what I mean? Like, I want her to be beautiful, just not so hot that everyone's like after her. You know what I'm saying? Dads, amen? Yeah, dads are like, it's a grind. Um, you want them to be beautiful, just not that beautiful. Anyway, I have no idea if that has any implications, but, and, and their father gave them an inheritance. It says in Proverbs 19.4, Wealth brings many new friends. Man, and that is so true. That is so true. In Job's life, man, the inheritance comes back. He starts having kids. He starts all this stuff. People, daughters are hot, the whole nine. Everything's just blowing his socks off, the, the whole thing. And this is what it says, verse 16. And this is where you want to get, and this is where I want to get. And after Job lived 140 years, not that part, just hold on. And, the, and he saw his sons and his son's sons four generations, and Job died an old man full of days. Man, isn't that what you want? Don't you want to get to the end and live a life worthy of God? You want to be on your deathbed, and you want people to come and celebrate. You want your funeral 
to be filled with stories of what God had done in your life, not about what you did. You don't want your funeral to be empty and no one show up. But here's the thing about Job's life, and here's what's true about your and my life. No one, no one gets to the end on accident. Nobody. Nobody gets to the end on accident and does life well. You just can't. If we are not careful, what we learn from Job is that his faith in God was what sustained him. Not his faith in his friends, not his faith in a lot of money, not his faith in God's blessing, but rather in God. And if I'm not careful, if you're not careful, if we are not careful, our I want to's will turn into I wish I would have. I want to do this. I want to be a godly husband. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to teach the Bible. I want to finish well. And I want to get to the end of my life and say, that's what God did. I was just faithful. But if I am not careful, if I am not careful, it will turn into, man, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have had that conversation. I wish I would have forgiven them. I wish, I wish I would have said this earlier. Man, I wish I would have lived for God just a little bit sooner. It teaches in Ecclesiastes 10, life is hard and unpredictable. It's hard and unpredictable. Sometimes life goes really well and God is with you in the mountaintops. Everyone's with you in the mountaintops, but sometimes you're in the valley. And when Job was in the valley, God was with him then. And for some of you, that's what you need reminded of today. You are in a valley. This series on Job has just been good for you. Some of you, you're ready, you're done with job, you're ready to move on, whatever we got next. You don't really know how this applies to you, but I will say this. If you don't feel like this book or this series applies to you, there is someone in your life that it does. And you could speak of God what is right. You could speak of God what is right. And if you're going through this season, you have to put your faith in God. It's in Psalm 23. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Some of you are looking for restoration and you want restoring, but you want external. And God wants to restore internal. He wants to restore your heart. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, you have heard this, you have read this. Let's just, just sink in. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God wants to restore your life. And he wants to restore mine. And it may not be the kind of restoring that you want. The book of Job teaches that God sends him a material blessing. But before then, it felt like it was, and when he sends it, it feels like it's heaven on earth for him. God just gives him everything back. But God primarily wants to restore our soul. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God and that's his primary concern for you. Or maybe you follow God in your heart. If you're honest today at Maranatha, you would say your heart is cold. It's cold towards him. It's cold towards your family. It's, it's just in general, you, you feel like you need a restored heart. 
there was a man that Jesus, uh, that, that the gospel of Luke tells a story about Jesus. Jesus was walking down this road. And as he was walking down, there was a man who cried out, Jesus, son of David, would you have mercy on me? He's a blind man. He's a beggar. It says that the people around him pushed him to the side, just shoved him right to the side. And maybe for some of you, you feel that way today. You feel like maybe you've tried to follow God. You've tried to figure it out. You feel like you always just get shoved to the side. People forget you. When I brought up Carl and talked about being alone, you feel more alone than you've ever felt. I wonder if Job felt like quitting. And I bet it was every day. And yet, as he cries out, Jesus hears the cry and says, in, in Luke 18, pulled up, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him this question, what do you want me to do for you? I believe God asks each and every one of us that question. I believe he asks you, and I believe he asks me that question. He asks the blind man, hey man, what do you want for me to do? What do you want? And just like any blind man would say, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. If you want God's blessing, he just wants your faith. There's no magical fairy dust. There's no A plus B equals C. He wants you to believe that this is the work of God. He wants your faith. And I believe he looks at you and says, what do you want? Maybe for some of you, you'd say, man, my marriage, I just, I, I need help. I want something. Some of you would say, I want peace. I want God help us purpose in my life. I want a restored relationship with my family. I want to restore this. I want, I need restoration. What do I do? And I believe when you cry out to God and you come to him, he says, I just want your faith. He says, I just want your faith. Let me pray for us. If you are in this room and you would say you are in a season, I just want to take a moment and pray for you. You're in a season where you would say, Mike, we read Psalm 73. You talked about valleys and I've been going through Job and I feel like God has just abandoned me. I feel abandoned by friends and family. And honestly, I just, I just need you to pray for me all across the room. Would you just throw up your hand real quick so I can lift you up in prayer? Yeah, just throw it up. I just want to pray for you real quick. God, I thank you for those with their raised hands. And they're in a season right now where it just feels heavy. I pray that you would minister to them. Holy Spirit, would you comfort them? God, I pray and ask that you would give them wisdom, Lord, to see you for who you are correctly. If you're in this room and you would also say, I'm in a season now where I feel like my friends are against me. You resonated with Job. You feel like friends are speaking wrong of God and of you. And you're just struggling to discern um, restoring relationship and forgiveness. Would you just throw your hand up real quick um, so I can pray for you as well? God, I want to pray for those with a raised hand. And they feel the, the need <clears throat> to cry out to you for help. They want forgiveness. They want restoration. God, I, we don't know the situation. They do pray that you'd give them wisdom to reach out to the right people who can help them. And God, we ask that you would restore the relationships that need to be done. Lord, only you can change hearts. And we pray that you would do that this morning. <clears throat> it says in Psalm 73, when he says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked, he goes on to say later, David, he says, I have no one in heaven but you. That God was his source. For Job, God was his source. And maybe you're in here today, you don't, you don't really have God. 
He's not a part of your life. He's not the center of your life. Or maybe your faith is not in capital G, God. Your faith is in your friends. Your relationship with God is not really in God. It's in you. And the Bible says that if you confess that you're a sinner and you believe in your heart in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you will be saved. And if you need to make that decision today, I want you just to raise your hand real quick and so I can pray for you. That you've never had a relationship with God. God, for those who do not know Christ in this room, I pray that they would walk with you, that you, as you draw them close to you, that they would put their faith in Jesus. God, that you'd help all of us to be obedient to you. God, that we would receive your blessing, which is simply what you promised to give us, which is peace, which is joy, and which is eternal life. So God, would you help us to understand what that blessing is? And God, for those of us in here who do not know you, pray that they would not leave until they have made a decision to follow you because following Jesus is the best decision that you can make. We thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you for the book of Job. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna thank you guys for being here this morning. Again, if you are new, please come let me know, let Connor know before you head out of here. Thank you for being with us. Good morning in Maranatha.